From Beacon Point Advisors, I'm Michael Dow. This is Markets in Motion, our regular update on the economy and investing. Today on the podcast, we are officially in a bear market with stocks down almost 22% from the peak as the market prices in a more aggressive response to inflation. It's Monday evening, June 13th, 2022. This is Markets in Motion. So we finally did it. We're in a bear market. It took us a while, um, but it was kind of anticipated. Stocks are now down 21.8% from the peak we saw in the first week of January of this year and are now down uh, almost 10% in the last three or four trading days. But that's not the whole story. The, the, the reason for the recent market uh, dislocations are entirely comprehensible when you think about what it is that the Federal Reserve has to do as part of their congressional mandate to get a hold of, of inflation, which has um, continued to, to be um, surprised on the upside in terms of the level and, uh, and the persistence. So let's talk about that. We did get an inflation print CPI number uh, last Friday, which is the proximate cause of the Friday sell-off. And uh, today's continuation, we, we saw a much higher than expected 8.6% for headline CPI year over year. That accelerated from the 8.3% that we saw for in, in the April print. This was the main number, 8.6% came out on June 10th. And the momentum is the thing that I think has got the, got the market concerned that the Fed might have to act more aggressively. What I mean by that is if you look at CPI headline uh, month over month, it accelerated to 1%, uh, which you don't generally do this, but if you were to annualize a 1% month-on-month movement, inflation would be closer to 12%. But the year-on-year number, the actual year-on-year number, which was reported last, last Friday, was, um, was 86 that comes on the heels of a pretty pretty decent labor market number or employment figure uh, the prior Friday. On, on June 3rd, we saw a change in non-farm payrolls up 390,000 uh, people, from, uh, which is down from the prior, but it was well above what was expected. And this falls under the category of what's good is bad to the extent that it was a good economic number, a good economic, economic data is generally welcomed by, by the markets. But in this case, what happens is when you have positive economic data and the Fed is in tightening mode, and, and in fact the Fed is attempting to slow the economy, what that means is the Federal Reserve takes that as a signal to potentially, that, that, that their efforts to slow the economy to date haven't been effective. And, and it means, and market participants have started to, to believe this, that the Fed is going to have to tighten interest rates or raise interest rates higher and, and, and shrink the balance sheet faster than previously thought. That is, the good economic data means that the Federal Reserve is going to have to be more aggressive. So good economic data is, is perceived as being bad news if you're thinking about um, the equity market. And this is exactly what we've seen. Since June 3rd, and it's accelerated really since last Wednesday uh, or Thursday, the expectations for interest rate hikes have risen from pretty much a clear-cut 50 basis point hike this week. Um, the Fed meets, or the FOMC, or the Federal Open Market Committee meets this Wednesday, and there will be a Fed rate hike announcement uh, at 1 o'clock Central, 2 o'clock Eastern, 
uh, Wednesday afternoon that will indicate or, and will be the announcement of what the Fed has decided to do, both with uh, in terms of letting the the securities that are currently on their balance sheet run off, which is another way of tightening financial conditions. You let the balance sheet run off. And more directly, they, the Federal Reserve can tighten financial conditions by raising interest rates. And that's they've already raised interest rates a couple of times. They are going to raise interest rates again on Wednesday. Now the only question is, are they going to raise interest rates 50 basis points or 75 basis points? And the most important thing for the Fed at this point is communication. They do not want to surprise the market. Surprising the markets are is generally a bad idea. So you generally have Fed officials, uh, Federal Reserve Bank presidents, and Federal Reserve governors uh, speaking uh, during the intermeeting periods. The, the Fed meets every six weeks. And during that time, uh, they will indicate typically through their speeches um, that what the Fed's intentions are. And in fact, Jay Powell has a press conference after um, many of the meetings, uh, and, and that's another way for the Fed to communicate what their intentions are. And the market will interpret what Fed officials are saying and translate that into expectations for a Fed rate hike. These expectations are translated into you know one, two, or three 25 rate, rate, basis point rate hikes. And up until, again, last Wednesday or Thursday, it was a lead pipe certainty that the Fed was going to raise interest rates 50 basis points on Wednesday. With the excellent labor market number, relatively speaking, a week and a half ago now, uh, on June 3rd, and with the outsized inflation print that came on Friday, things have changed pretty radically in the bond market. Specifically, two-year Treasury yields are now 3.36%. And um, that's a mo almost the same number, 3.37 on 10-year yields. So, so the two-year by 10-year Treasury yield curve spread, the spread between two-year yields and 10-year yields, which is generally positive, is now completely flattened and is um, on the verge of inversion. That's generally a, a, a signal to market participants that the uh, probability of a recession is increasing. And I would say it certainly has. We suggested recently the probability of a recession was probably around 30 to 40 percent. It's probably closer to 50 to 60 percent. I'm trying to trying to hedge here because, frankly, um, a modest or small or short recession wouldn't be such a bad thing. It's actually what the Fed's angling for. I'll talk about that more in a second. The, those, the figures I quoted with the two and the 10-year Treasury trading at about 3.35 or 3.36%, those the, the yields are up by, by 60 or, or 34 basis points, respectively, 58-plus basis points on two-year yields and 34 basis points higher now in the last three trading days on 10-year yields. These type of moves are unprecedented. Well, they're, let's just say they're very rare, and they're certainly, um, you know, three, four type of standard deviation events away from typical, particularly two-year yield movements. A, a up 60 basis points on two years, again, is, a f is about a four standard deviation event. It's very uh, unusual, and it's indicative of uh, rapidly increasing concerns that the Federal Reserve is going to have to raise interest rates a lot higher, a lot faster. So let's dig into that. Um, there's also a market uh, that's called the Fed Funds Futures Rate, which tells you what the market's expectations are for for the Fed in terms of rate hikes or, or rate cuts. We're on a rate hiking cycle now. And again, as of um, 
June 8th or three trading days ago, it was a lead pipe certainty that federal funds rate was going to be uh, raised by 50 basis points. We're going to get a 50 basis point rate hike at um, on the June 15th meeting. Well, that's now moved up to a 100% chance. The market is putting placing a 100% probability on a 75 basis point rate hike on Wednesday. So given that it's priced into the market, it seems likely that the Fed may take advantage of that and go ahead and move up the anticipated rate hikes. The market was already expecting a couple of meetings of 50 and, and then another 25 basis point rate hike. It was going to be June, July, September was going to be 50 basis points, 50 basis points, 25 basis points, plus or minus. Well, that's that's all gone by the wayside. The new uh, market for Fed rate hikes is pricing in a 75 basis rate, rate hike on Wednesday, another 75 basis rate, rate hike on July 27th, and another 50 basis point rate hike on September 21st. So we've got um, uh, a good 200 basis points now of rate hikes priced in over the next three meetings uh, between now and the end of September. Where where does this all end? And by the way, that's why the stock market is is, is down 10% in the last two trading days. Any, anytime interest rates increase, just it's the denominator of a dis, dividend discount model. If you're discounting cash flows back to the present and your interest rate that you're using in the denominator increases, then your the value of that asset today, which in this case is stock prices, uh, and the numerator being cash flows or dividends, corporate earnings, corporate earnings discounted back to the present at a particular rate is is how you calculate stock prices. That's all equity markets care about. Stock prices are a function of future cash flows and, uh, and an interest rate that discounts those future cash flows back to the present. It's not it's not really terribly complicated. When interest rates rise, that means that current stock prices have to decline. So interest rates are rising. We expected them to rise. We knew they were going to rise, the rate go higher because the Federal Reserve has basically said they have to get inflation under control. The way to get inflation under control is is you, there's a menu, there's a tr- tried and true pathway to to reducing inflation. And it's uh, you generally comes about through a tightening of financial conditions. What do I mean by that? Well, financial conditions are simply market observable forces like equity prices, equity price volatility, or the VIX index, corporate credit spreads, ten-year Treasury yields, Fed funds rates, and the U.S. dollar. These are all things that basically comprise the cost of funding for the U.S. economy and U.S. corporates. So, if the cost of funding uh, your business increases the value of that business generally and the opportunities for investment in the future tend to decline. This insight or or it, the financial conditions framework that the Federal Reserve uses is actually um, pretty well understood now. It's It's been part of the Fed's toolkit along with uh, the Phillips curve and the Taylor rule uh, for, for over 20 years now. So the, you would expect if the Fed was trying to slow the economy that they would do so by raising interest rates and forcing the stock market lower, increasing the cost of basically doing business and investing for, for businesses. And this will, will, of course, in the future, in the next two to four quarters, the theory is that tightening financial conditions uh, one half to one year ahead will cause the economy to slow. That's, it's, and it's worked out like that empirically. That's just been the experience.
So that's how the Fed works, and, and it's, it's what they should do. They should slow the economy. By slowing the economy, the economy is running at much higher than potential GDP, so we have a positive output gap. It's not a negative output gap. It's a positive output gap, and that puts pressure on prices. So you slow the economy to take inflation off the boil, and the way to slow the economy is to tighten financial conditions. That's bad for current investors, but it does lay the groundwork for longer-term expected uh, growth in, here in the U.S. I mean, the, the alternative is, is unacceptable. Let's consider the alternative for a second. The alternative is the Federal Reserve doesn't slow the economy, and frankly, by targeting the equity market and the housing market, in addition to, to stocks, housing is a pretty big part of consumers, um, the, consumption, the consumer wealth effect, and it's a large enough part of the economy that by slowing housing and and slowing uh, consumption, you're going to uh, you're going to slow the overall economy. And to slow consumption, you you, you knock the equity market back, and you take the the bubble out of uh, uh, the, the air out of the bubble in the housing market. It's what's the Fed? It's what the Fed's doing. It's quite quite straightforward, but painful. So we understand it. We can put it in the framework of financial conditions. We knew it was coming because inflation was running hot, and it's going to be the environment that we live in until inflation rolls over. We, the market was thinking maybe inflation peaked in, in the April reading, which came in the second week of May. This is the second week of June, and we have the May inflation numbers, and they're not rolling over. They're, they seem to be accelerating. So the Fed is going to have to become more aggressive, and as the Fed becomes more aggressive, it's going to put downward pressure on equity markets. Where, where does it stop? Uh, that's a difficult question to answer. But because it's difficult doesn't mean we shouldn't try. So here's what we're looking for. Today today did feel like a day where some folks might be panicking. That is, there might have been a capitulation trade. The stock market generally goes down until people get tired of selling and valuations start to look much more attractive. And there's a couple of signals that might indicate that a capitulation has occurred. What are those signals? Well, the VIX index, which is the index of equity market volatility uh, on the Chicago Board Options Exchange, is uh, needs to be above 40, and we only got to 33 today. So we're still a ways away from the VIX index telling us that we're the stock market's in a capitulation mode. RSI, or relative strength indices, are, are approaching oversold. So that would be a helpful indicator when trying to find a market bottom. Looking at put-call ratios, which is a measure of, of market sentiment, uh, in addition to bearish market sentiment itself, are, are two indices that are actually one of those. Put-call ratio is closer to um, not, not pointing towards a, a capitulation yet. We need to see more bearishness in terms of the number or the volume of puts on the S&P 500 versus calls, and we're still well below the threshold for capitulation. Bearish investor sentiment is elevated. So there isn't a lot of you know, happy feelings in the equity market these days, and that is very helpful. It's counterintuitively, when, when bearish sentiment is uh, high, that tends to indicate that uh, the equity market is preparing to bottom and may be setting up for from some stabilization from here. So I, I, our view is that two out of the four indicators are close to capitulation. That would be bear, um, uh, bearish sentiment and um, the, the oversold or RSI index. But the VIX index and put-call ratio are not indicating a bottom just yet. What is an investor supposed to do in the current environment? Well, your portfolio, if it's a beacon point strategy portfolio, 
uh, is optimized to be on the efficient frontier and been adjusted to reduce risk over the course of the last six months, both risk associated with exposure to equity market beta, so we're underweight equity risk, and we're also shorter duration uh, than the index, uh, which has protected the portfolio's interest rates have risen. And that's the key, finding the right asset allocation and sticking with it through thick and thin. By adjusting the asset allocation, or the, in the extreme, going to cash by selling your equities, you are completely repudiating any chance you have of achieving longer-term investment objectives. Going to cash may feel good, but it's not the right thing to do ever, because it means you've decided you've got perfect foresight on both the bottom and the top of the market. The top, you're going you're gonna to sell, and the bottom is when you're going to buy. Nobody has that. So it's really important to understand the basics here of, of longer-term investing. Rule number one of in professional longer-term investing is you, no one has a crystal ball. No one can pick the top. No one can pick the bottom. So just stay invested and make sure that your risk profile is properly uh, reflected in your long-term asset allocation. You're going to be just fine as long as you stay invested through the thick and the thin. Because if you get out of the market, that's one perfect way and one sure way to basically take the chances of you achieving longer-term investment objectives, any kind of a return above cash, it's impossible to achieve your lifetime and legacy goals. So keep that in mind. And remember, volatility in the capital markets, volatility in equity prices, is the price you pay for building wealth over the long term. And that's it for Beacon Points Markets in Motion. We'll be back soon with another of our regular updates on markets and investing. I'm Michael Dow, Beacon Point Chief Investment Officer. Thanks for listening.